1: Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. He'll be with us as well as Seaton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government and the former mayor of Naples. Bill Barnett will be with us as well. It is November the 17th, and on this day in 1558, Queen Mary I, the monarch of England and Ireland since 1553, died and was succeeded by her 25-year-old half-sister Elizabeth. The two half-sisters, both daughters of King Henry VIII, had a stormy relationship during Mary's five-year reign. Mary, who was brought up as a Catholic, enacted pro-Catholic legislation and made efforts to restore the Pope to supremacy in England. A Protestant rebellion ensued, and Queen Mary imprisoned Elizabeth, a Protestant, in the Tower of London, on suspicion of complicity. After Mary's death, Elizabeth survived several Catholic plots against her, though her ascension was greeted with approval by most England's lords, who were largely Protestant and hoped for greater religious tolerance under the Protestant Queen. Under the early guidance of Secretary of State Sir William Cecil, Elizabeth repealed Mary's pro-Catholic legislation, established Permanent Protestant Church of England, and encouraged the Calvinist Reformers in Scotland. In foreign affairs, Elizabeth practiced a policy of strengthening England's Protestant allies and dividing her foes. Elizabeth was opposed by the Pope, who refused to recognize her legitimacy, and by Spain, a Catholic nation that was at the height of its power. In 1588, of course, English-speaking rivalry led to an abortive Spanish invasion of England, which was the Spanish Armada, the greatest naval force in the world at the time, was destroyed by storms and, of course, by a determined English navy. When increasing English domination at sea, Elizabeth encouraged voyages of uh, discovery, such as Sir Francis Drake's circumnavigation of the world and Sir Walter Raleigh's expeditions to the North American coast. The long reign of Elizabeth was known as the Virgin Queen for her reluctance to engage and endanger her authority through marriage, coincided with the flowering of English Renaissance associated with the renowned authors of William Shakespeare. By her death in 1603, England had become a major world power in every respect, and Queen Elizabeth I passed into history as one of England's greatest monarchs. Uh, So interesting. English uh, history, and uh, the Elizabethan period. Well, the world's population hit a new record on Tuesday by reaching 8 billion folks. It comes 11 years after the world hit 7 billion, with the population growth dropping to its lowest since 1950. Projections by the UN have the world population growing to 8.5 billion in 2030 and 9.7 billion by 2050, A peak of 10.4 billion people is projected through the 2080s, and the global population is expected to stay at roughly the same total until the end of the century. The record comes as many nations across the developed world grapple with sustained drops in fertility over the past few decades. Two-thirds of the global population live in a country with a lifetime fertility rate at a replacement level or lower, according to the UN Department of Economic and Social Affairs. Sustained low fertility and high levels of emigration could contribute to the uh, 1% population drops in 60, uh, 61 different countries. How about that? Continued decreases in global fertility rates have the potential to further reduce the global population growth rate more than half of the increase in global population will be concentrated in eight countries, the Democratic republican uh, Republic of Congo, Egypt, Ethiopia, India, Nigeria, Pakistan, and the Philippines, and the United Republic of Tanzania. After 2050, population growth will likely be concentrated in sub-Saharan Africa, that according to the UN. By 2023, India is expected to surpass China as the world's most populous country. A major trend in global population numbers is aging with the number of people aged 65 and over expected to grow from 10% in 2022 to 16% by 2050. Tremendous uh, financial implications of that. At this level, the population at age 65 or older would be more than twice the number of children under age 5 and about the same number as children under 12 years of age, according to the U.N. One reason for the older populations is higher life expectancy, which has reached 72.8 in 2019 before dropping to 71 years in 2021. And the drop in the life expectancy can be linked to the COVID-19 pandemic, I think, to the vaccine, quite frankly, and associated restrictions on personal mobility, the United States, the U.N. states. Over life expectancy, overall, life expectancy is increasing almost nine years since 1990 and is projected to reach 77.2 years by 2050. These numbers have huge implications. Chuck Schumer came out yesterday saying, yeah, "I got a great idea. Let's have amnesty for the 11 to 20 million folks here in the United States that are here illegally because we need them here." We're <laughs> because the growth rate of the United States is going down and the fertility rates. The logic there ceases. I just can't understand what he what he had in mind. But why is it a good idea to make something that's illegal illegal uh, because people are because our fertility rates is lower, are lower? I just <laughs> Chuck Schumer's makes no sense. Well, the debt is soaring in no small part because the Fed has raised interest rates on government bonds four times to counter runaway federal spending, which is causing borrowing costs to rise further when it in turn made the government debt larger. Meanwhile, interest rates are rising because the debt is soaring. There are more government bonds issued to pay for the debt already incurred. This is a textbook definition of a death spiral. So there are a few, uh, few of the numbers. The 10-year rise in the debt is expected to cost in- cause interest payments on the debt to, uh, to gobble up $8 trillion of the nation's resources by 2032. $8 trillion. That is, we'll be spending $8 trillion not for roads, bridges, military operations, Social Security checks, or schools, but to pay the cost of past borrowing. Almost half of the increase in the debt is due to Biden's spending blitz, over the past 22 months. What a legacy, Joe Biden. So, how can inflation be such a key issue right now and yet apparently change so few minds in the midterms? Inflation affects different folks in uh, different groups quite differently. Retirees on fixed incomes have lost about 14% in real annual income since Biden took office. Retirees are also disproportionately vote Republican. Conversely, young college grads are the only demographic whose real incomes have actually increased under Biden, and they disproportionately vote Democrat. Many of those youngsters also live with mom and dad who still provide their adult kids health insurance. So on top of seeing nominal wage rises faster than inflation, the key Democrat voting bloc also seems somewhat immune. They've been immune for three of the key drivers of inflation, food, housing, and health insurance price increases. Finally, uh, those living on government paychecks or government uh, benefits are almost all given the automatic cost of living adjustments because the Fed has a credit card with no limits. Democrat voters are protected from inflation. Republican voters tend to pay the price. Do you ever think about that? Isn't that interesting? interesting observation? Well, Senator Mitch McConnell was reelected in, Latin, in spite of his lack of popularity as Republican leader Wednesdays, quashing a challenge from uh, our own Senator Rick Scott of Florida. The Senate GOP campaign uh, chief criticized over his party's midterm election failures. Retreating to the Capitol's old Senate chamber for a private vote, Republicans had faced public infighting following a disproportionate and disappointing performance in the last week's elections that kept Senate control with the Democrats. And it it was not just incompetence. I mean, Mitch McConnell actually, I think, financially used his financial tools in order to cause certain people like Blake Masters in Arizona to lose, lose their elections. And how about supporting Lisa Murkowski in Alaska? That makes no sense at all. McConnell of Kentucky easily swatted back the challenge from Scott in the first ever attempt to oust him for many years as GOP leader, Senators first rejected an attempt by McConnell's detractors to delay the leadership choice until after the Senate runoff election in Georgia next month. The unrest is similar to the uproar among House Republicans in the aftermath of the midterm elections that left the party split over former President Trump's hold on the party. House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy won the nomination from colleagues to run for House Speaker. On Wednesday, the senators first considered a motion by Scott Uh, An ally, Republican Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, to delay the leadership vote until after the December 6 runoff between Republican Herschel Walker and incumbent Democrat Senator Raphael Warnock, that will determine the final makeup of the Senate, Walker was eligible to vote in the leadership election, but wasn't expected to be present. There were 49 GOP senators expected to vote, including newly elected senators in town this week, but not yet sworn into office and uh, I mentioned uh, Lisa Murkowski, who was eligible even though her race against uh, Kelly Shabaka hasn't yet been called. No more than 10 Republican senators among some of the most conservative figures, and those aligned with Trump were expected to join the revolt. Senators were also uh, electing others in that Republican leadership, and the leadership team that McConnell had in place is pretty much going to stay intact. That would include John Thune, as GOP whip and Senator Barrasso from Wyoming in the number three spot. The challenge by Scott, who was urged by Trump to confront McConnell, escalated a long, simmering feud between Scott, who's led the Senate Republican campaign arm last year, and McConnell, who's the party's approach to try to reclaim the Senate majority. If you simply want to stick with the status quo, don't vote for me, Scott said in a letter to Senate Republicans, offering himself as a protest vote against McConnell. Trump has been pushing for the party to dump McConnell ever since the Senate leader gave a scathing speech blaming then-President Trump for the January 6th riot. Still, it represented an unusual direct challenge to McConnell's authority that he would become uh, the longest-serving Senate leader in history with the new Congress convenes next year. Cocaine Mitch, as they call him. Why? Because of his uh, effervescent personality? I don't think so. (laughs) Anyhow, uh, he's going to end up uh, being the Senate leader uh, for the Republican Party uh, next year. Well, the Biden administration blamed Russia for the missile strike in the Poland last week, regardless of where the explosives came. Poland's President uh, Duda on Wednesday said the missile hit that hit his country and killed two people was probably a Ukrainian air defense missile, and there was no evidence to suggest the incident was an intentional attack by Russia. Still, the White House maintains Russia is at fault because President Putin's country forced Ukraine to defend itself. Uh, (laughs) Inexplicable uh, logic on the part of the president. Whatever the final conclusion may be, it's pretty clear that the party ultimately has responsibility for this tragic incident in Russia, which launched a barrage of missiles on Ukraine, specifically intended to target civilian infrastructure. Ukraine had and has every right to defend itself. National security spokesperson Adrian Watson said in a statement. So uh, defending, again, the, uh, this was, uh, could escalate into World War III. We all know that, yet for whatever reason, the president still wants to fan the flames of uh, and saber-rattle, uh, rattling in the, uh, in the support of this Ukrainian war. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com also brought to you by life in naples magazine be in the know and stay up to date by reading life in naples the website is LifeInNaples.net. coming up keith law co-founder of the florida citizens alliance that and more right here on the bob hardin show on the bob hardin broadcasting network
2: Forty-five,
0: forty-one. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Keith Law, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Keith, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Beth. Good morning, Keith. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance.
2: Uh, we're a grassroots coalition of uh, now well over 100 groups across Florida. We focus on uh, K-12 through education uh, exclusively. And, uh, we have uh, almost 300,000 people now in our active database. Wow. Uh, we get very involved in, uh, trying to help the legislature do things to expand, uh, options for our kids, uh, here in Florida, for example, we're huge supporters of the education savings account, which is trying to get a, a law passed that where the money follows the kid. Um, so, I mean, those are just uh, some of the examples. We've been fighting the, uh, indoctrination, big time, uh, on multiple fronts. That ranges all the way from uh, pornography to, uh, you know, the distortion of our constitutional values. So those are some of the kinds of things we get involved in.
1: goflca.com is the website, goflca.com. So, Keith, uh, you're a 501c3 organization. You don't take political stands, but it's pretty clear that parents were pretty upset in this election cycle about what was happening in our schools can you any comments about what happened in the elections here in Florida in, in terms of school board makeup?
2: Sure. Uh, we're actually Bob is a 501c3 and a 501 C4. and, and, and uh, that's the Florida action. You remember the voter guides that we put out. Right. Uh, we put out uh, a, a, almost a half million uh, voter guides across the state electronically. Uh, and here in Collier County we were much more aggressive in terms of our reach. Uh, but the the point that uh, there was a recent article, uh, actually after the primary and uh, back in October, where um, uh, the Leadership Institute, if you're familiar with them, put out an article that there were 50 school board members uh, candidates that either won outright or uh, you know progressed to the to the general, and in many of those cases. Uh, they won in the general, but the, the really important part is there are six counties now that have a very solid conservative um, makeup. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, uh, you've got Lee and Collier County. Um, you've got Clay County, Duval County, which are, you know, up in the upper uh, upper part of the state, um, and a, a big surprise: Miami-Dade. Uh, actually, uh, Miami swung big for. Desantis, and uh, they actually now have a really strong conservative um, Miami-Dade school board, which is, I thought, uh, quite fascinating. And then, of course, Sarasota. So you've got six counties now that are, are uh, that have a strong conservative uh, orientation, and uh, and we're we're going to be presenting uh, to those counties and, and even representatives. Uh, you know, winners, and even if they don't have a majority, there's some things that they can do that they don't have to wait for the legislature. You know, we're pretty active in the policy side of the equation, but uh, some simple things like um, putting in place an opt in or on the sexual explicit material, they don't have to wait for that to become law at the state level, they could do that county by county. Mm-hmm. Um, putting up a, a policy in place um, that, that's focused on getting rid of these uh, sexually explicit materials. Uh, You know, I call it um, zero tolerance. Mm -hmm. They don't have to wait for the state to do that. They can do that on their own. Uh, And then, of course, you've got other things like the Guardian Program, which is a safety issue with our kids. Uh, That's law. Um, School districts that have a conservative um, uh, orientation can, can fully implement the Guardian Program. And if you remember the Guardian Program, Allows teachers and administrators uh, to, to, to private carry if they've had 144 hours of uh, training. So hmm. those are some of the kinds of things that uh, school districts can do, and that's only beginning to scratch the surface. Well, that's
1: uh, that's all good news, Keith. I mean, is, uh, when you're saying that six counties, we've got 67 counties. Did we make progress in the other counties?
2: Uh, there were some. Uh, there was. Uh, I mean, Broward County, for example, there was uh, there are three conserv- uh, conservative out of Uh, nine. So Mm -hmm. they've got a challenge Um, in uh, another county that comes to mind is Manatee County. Uh, They have two out of their five. Uh, So, you know, having spent so many years at this in Collier County, if you remember back uh, in 2014, we had two uh, strong conservatives on the board and uh, every vote went down three to two against those conservatives. So it's going to be a struggle but with the governor uh, being such a strong advocate for education, uh, I think even in those counties where they don't have a majority, they're going to have a much stronger voice potentially than, than they have had in the past. So uh, it's hopeful, but um, you know there's still strong uh, liberal orientation to yeah. counties like Broward and Palm Beach County, and uh, I was really encouraged to see Miami-Dade swing.
1: Yeah, well, it's all, all very encouraging. Okay. Uh, any, is there going to be any movement, do you think, in, uh, in the legislature to get uh, money to follow the child in terms of uh, uh, the uh, school choice?
2: Uh, absolutely. Um, the, the, the next speaker who will be sworn in on the 22nd, uh, Paul Renner, um, is a, a very strong proponent of an education savings account. We're being told the governor is as well. Uh, not so sure about Pasadomo, but we'll find out. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so I believe there uh, will there will be, there will be move, a serious movement on an ESA. We're going to be. Uh, I'm actually going to Tallahassee uh, the twenty uh, the thirtieth to meet with uh, senior governor uh, governor's deputy chief of staff on the ESA, and we would like to see some uh, some implementation that not only lets the money follow the child, but doesn't flow through government coffers. We'd like to see you, uh, as an example, Bob, be able to donate your property tax money before you pay the property tax appraisal. We'd like to see you be able to designate that to a charity of your choice and the charity then could could provide scholarships to uh, to students here in Florida. Wow, what a great so idea we, that is. Yeah. So interesting. So that's an example.
1: Well, good news, Keith, and so many other good things going on. I'm sure uh, I need to move on, but I do want to ask you about your uh, fundraiser that's coming up.
2: Yeah, we're pretty much sold out. If we got a, a couple of people, they can call me and we'll do our best to get them in. Uh, we're now moving forward with the holiday season coming up. We've got our big gala uh, coming up on March 8th with uh, New Gingrich, and uh, those tickets are now on sale, and uh, we're really encouraging people um, to, uh, you know, buy a ticket or two, it'd be a great opportunity to, uh, provide a unique gift to your, uh, spouse or significant other. And, uh, um, you know, those tickets, I think will start selling pretty fast.
1: That um, sounds like a great opportunity. Goflca.com is the website. GoFLCA.com. As you heard from the interview, just doing great things to enhance public school education here in Florida. GoFLCA.com. Keith, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You're very welcome. Have a great weekend, You as well. Thank you, Keith. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more uh, here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse. Tickets are on sale right now, and you can find out more, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. The website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon, director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Michael. Tell us about the Cato Institute.
3: The Cato Institute is a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C. Uh, what we try to bring to uh, uh, debate over how government should operate is the idea that your life is your own, and you should be able to live your life however you want, as long as you respect the equal rights of others, and that government should, stay unless the government is re- rest- trading people from hurting each other, it should just stay out of the way and let you live your life according to your own values.
1: Uh, that certainly makes sense. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Michael, I understand that uh, you have a policy... Uh uh, makers handbook that's available for people who are uh, you know when people get into the legislature in many cases state or federal they they're good at winning elections but not necessarily good at designing policy so I uh, understand you have a, a an aid for that
3: we're trying to help them out we've got it's a very exciting time at the Cato Institute right now because we've just published the ninth edition of our Cato handbook for policymakers this is a a 77 77- Chapter Beast with recommendations for how state and federal policymakers can make the world a better place in areas ranging from accountability for police officers and arms sales all the way down to veterans' benefits. There are so many great recommendations in here for uh, both state legislators and governors, uh, as well as members of Congress and presidents. That uh, it, it's quite a tome. I mean, this this this. This book, it's so thick, it can keep your truck from rolling down the hill. <laughs> but if you are a member of Congress, if you're a member of the state legislature or a staffer to either of those, this is, it should be your go-to resource when you're looking for ideas on how to restrain government at either the state or federal level. Sounds- I've got, I, I myself contributed six chapters, six of those 77 chapters, and, uh, about, about different areas of health policy. And they cover things like the recommendations I made in the Miami Herald uh, a week or so ago that Florida legislators make health insurance better and more affordable by letting Florida residents purchase uh, health insurance plans from, from Puerto Rico and other U.S. territories where Obamacare's expensive and harmful regulations don't apply.
1: Yeah, it sounds outstanding. I mean, uh, do you, how do you, how do you distribute it? Just uh, do you ever? Do you, uh, it seems to me it would be. Uh, the, I don't know how many state legislators there are across the country. There's got to be you know, thousands. But uh, can you just you send them one, or maybe get a link to each one for uh, for the uh, tome?
3: Well, thank God for the internet, because the postage on these things would be quite expensive if we sent them all. Uh, if we sent them to every state legislator. Although, you know, uh, we we may end up doing that, but we are so far distributing it uh, 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 until the print copies come in. We're distributing the full Cato Handbook for Policymakers online. You can either, uh, 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 you can download each chapter in HTML form and each chapter gets its own web page. And uh, and so we are distributing it electronically like that right now. And when the dead tree copies come in, you know, we'll send them to any willing, uh, any any uh, state legislator, uh, legislative staffer who wants one.
1: That sounds great. Now, uh, you go to org to to uh, take a look. I'd love to take a look at some of the policy recommendations. Uh,
3: Yes, you can. And um, uh, uh, when it comes to health care, we've got policy recommendations for health care regulation, health insurance regulation, uh, the Medicare program, uh, the Medicaid program, as well as the Children's Health Insurance Program, uh, how Congress should reform the tax code's treatment of health care, which is, I, I think, the original sin of federal health policy. And then, as I mentioned before, we've got a chapter on veterans' benefits and how Congress can not only improve the benefits that veterans receive, but how c- Congress can restructure the way it pays for veterans' benefits to make Congress more accountable and uh, for uh, the decisions it makes to commit military personnel to conflicts, and make it less likely that Congress will commit U.S. troops to battle. That's... Make Leave us with fewer wars and shorter wars rather than these forever wars that uh, Congress seems to prefer.
1: Absolutely. So uh, you'd mentioned uh, taxation uh, of health insurance, uh, and you mentioned it as the original sin. What would be your recommendation with regard to the taxation or how how, uh, health insurance is treated in the tax code?
3: Well, the ideal solution is to repeal the federal income tax. (laughs) <laughs> because the mess, the, the mess that is our current health sector with all sorts of cracks where people are falling through and outrageously high prices and, and health insurance that doesn't cover you for your entire life, that's a result of the federal income tax, which first takes a lot of our money away from us, which makes it harder for us to afford the medical care that we need, but then has also steered so many Americans, more than half of Americans, into employer-sponsored insurance, which drops you after you get sick uh, and can't work anymore, and drives up prices so that once it drops you, uh, you can't afford the medical care that you need. Yeah, uh, There's so many other ways that, that uh, the uh, income tax has has uh, harmed health care and harmed patients. But if we can't eliminate the income tax, we should at least reform this weird tax preference or tax exclusion for employer-sponsored insurance so that the tax code no longer favors employer-sponsored insurance and it encourages workers to let employers control a trillion dollars of their earnings every year.
1: Right. If we expand
3: health savings accounts, then workers can control that trillion dollars themselves. They'll spend it better than employers do. We'll get better and more secure health care.
1: Well, yeah. Uh, first of all, I think that's a great idea to level the playing field. And uh, you know, people should be able to buy their own health insurance and their own needs, not necessarily go through an employer and get a one-size-fits-all plan. Well, sometimes they have a couple of choices for, for employees, but irrespective. I think that's a great idea. When it comes to the income tax, though, I, I think we could all agree we'd love to have that go away. But we do have lots of things we have to pay for as a nation. Uh, what would you replace the income tax with?
3: Uh, I would not. Re- if, if your house is on fire, you don't want to re- uh, douse and replace the fire. <laughs> you don't. You don't want to replace it with something else. You want to put it out. So, uh, and you say that we have a lot of things we have to pay for. I, I hate the we. You're talking about the government here, um, and the government is paying for a lot of things uh, with, with our money that it should not be buying. Right. And that's why we've got that 77 chapter. A handbook for policymakers. It has all sorts of recommendations about government agencies that the Congress should just eliminate, and how Congress can reduce spending on the most expensive entitlement programs like Medicare, like Medicaid, so that uh, the income tax will uh, appear less necessary uh, right. even, once you do all of those. Well, I'm on the
1: I'm of the personal opinion that we should eliminate any agency or department. That was created after the year 1800, <laughs> so <laughs> would be my recommendation. Again, uh, uh, Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Check out Cato.org and this uh, handbook for policymakers. It sounds really interesting to get an idea and a flavor for some of the things that we could see see uh, done by legislators to improve and, and reduce the size of government. Michael, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Anytime, Bob. Take
1: care. You as well. Thank you. Cato.org again is the website. Coming up, Seaton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. That and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: You suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees. I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5304. That's 482 He did a great job for me and he'll help you too.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. You know, uh, listening to the show that uh, Lullaby's Diner serves great breakfasts and lunches uh, at the Green Tree Shopping Center. And now they're beginning to serve dinner Wednesday through Saturday evening, four to eight p.m. I hope you'll visit Lulubees Diner and give that take a look at that. A lot of good comfort food on the menu at Luluby's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Coming up, we're going to be a visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now, we have with us Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Good morning, sir.
1: Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government.
4: Yeah, we exist still, to reduce the size of covid the government, and it's not happening.
1: It's a big job. It's a big market. So, uh, Seton, you wrote an interesting piece. Musk's Tesla latest participant in China's first America last fake energy trade scam. Maybe you can tell us about it.
4: It's a long title, but it's, it's necessary. And it ended in a question mark, because yep. the story came out and then Musk denied it, but we'll see what happens. Um, what I'm talking about is you and I have talked a lot about, uh, obviously, we, we've been getting ripped off by China and, and our leaders selling us out to China for half a century now. Uh, main companies have moved their job, you know, jobs, of jobs have left the country uh, to go there. And we've done little to nothing to stop it. In fact, we've encouraged it with the policy from, from Washington, D.C., well, and you and I talked specifically about the, the, the fake energy stuff. Well, all of, all this fake energy stuff that Biden and everybody on the left wants to implement, most, almost all of it comes from China. The solar panels, the wind turbines, the, the, the electric batteries, all of it's made in China. Most of it's made in China. Right. And we have domestic solar makers and wind makers that want to compete, and they can't because... China, you know, mass subsidizes them. They use slave labor. They use coal-fired power plants, which we're not allowed to do anymore uh, here in the United States. Uh, so, of course, their stuff's much cheaper than our stuff. And we, just like every other industry in the United States, it's getting undercut by these mass-subsidized Chinese imports. Well, for people who don't know, Musk has two big and several small Tesla electric car manufacturing plants in the United States, he opened a huge one and borrowed a lot of money from the Chinese government to do it in China. Yeah, And the story came out last week that he was, because he, as I said, China is very happy to make us fake energy products they're not using them. Right. They're increasing. They're, they're making coal plants. They're increasing their oil imports, um, but they'll happily sell to the idiots in the West who are committing economic suicide. Well, Musk is making these cars in China allegedly for the Chinese, except the Chinese aren't buying them. Huh. So, so a story came out from two alleged sources in the company that he was considering importing. We're exporting the cars from China to the U.S., hmm. thereby again falling into the same pattern that has ruined the U.S. economy. You know, producing in China and undercutting us here in the United States, including his own companies, by the way. Yeah, you know his his, his manufacturers in, in in the United States. So he came out and denied it. He he he. The story was on Twitter, and he immediately tweet retweeted it with false above it, and then issued a statement saying he, he's not doing it. But he's been he's been caught, you know, doing some things and then denying it. Now again, I say it's big media versus Musk, and my initial reaction is to believe Musk. <laughs> right. Not big media, but even if this isn't happening, it. it at tesla it's happening in a bunch of other places you know every other sector of the economy that's right and you and i talked about the border carbon tax well the the left wants to impose a carbon tax on us companies the same companies they've also forced to use fake energy and do all the other things that they want to do meanwhile China's not doing any of them so i have said if you're going to impose a carbon tax impose it on them not on us right and the fact that they're mass importing whether whether it's whether it's tesla cars or not they're doing it with solar panels they're doing it with wind turbines they're doing it with electric car batteries they're doing it with all the components to make all of these things they're mass subsidizing them with slave labor and money and and uh, you know all all kinds of other advantages and then undercutting our manufacture so let's put a border tax, border carbon tax on China, on Russia, on India, who are the other big three in, uh, economies in the world, none of which are committing economic suicide anywhere near to the degree we are in the name of climate change.
1: I think it's a great idea. I read in your column, too, I found this interesting. I don't want to take you off the topic here, Go but uh, the, the whole notion that these uh, Tesla cars or these electric cars actually expend, uh, uh, expend more energy on carbon-based fuels uh because you know, obviously where, where do you get the electricity? Well, it's from coal plants. So right. we we actually uh, by by virtue of driving these cars, we're not saving anything at all. No, it, the,
4: the Volkswagen did a did a, a an honest study of electric vehicles and you have to drive the thing Uh, up until 60,000 miles on the electric car, it's producing more carbon than a regular car would.
1: (laughs) It makes, you know, how stupid can we be? I mean, this is... And it
4: costs, of course, orders of magnitude more money to make an electric car with not only the subsidies that we're dumping into them, but even with the subsidies, they're still dramatically more expensive than a regular internal combustion engine vehicle. And yeah it's just it's it's and of course, the other facet of it is is the de- the degradation of the power every time you convert the power to something else, you lose a percentage of the of the fuel right and by the time you get down to driving an electric car on an electric car battery, you're down to five percent usable energy from the original energy source
1: unbelievable <laughs> it's
4: just it's I, there's a reason I call it fake energy and fake transportation. It, it's also a welfare mobile because it's so heavily subsidized. I, every time I see one, you know, I, li- I live near Austin, Texas, which my joke is Austin's nice because it's so close to Texas. Yeah. And they're all virtue signaling with their Teslas. And I'm like, I paid for all my car and half of yours.
1: Well, here's the thing. I mean, if you can imagine uh, importing uh, cars from China... That uh, are again going to receive a subsidy from the United States to, to pay for the car. It's the, the the it's just insanity. It's just unbelievable. It's,
4: it, we wasted trillions over the decades. We wasted trillions of dollars on fake energy, and literally the technology has has improved only slightly in the decades right, after yeah. trillions of dollars, and it's still far less efficient than just firing up your old Datsun and driving down the road with your internal combustion engine. Well,
1: I must say I was in a Tesla yesterday, and what a ride. It's so so beautiful, but nevertheless, that doesn't negate the fact that... Uh, well,
4: if you, were, if you want to buy it for the actual cost, which would probably be close to half a million dollars, <laughs> go ahead.
1: <laughs> Seaton Motley, again, the founder and president of Less Government. I encourage you to visit lessgovernment.org. You can also visit Less Government on Facebook. Seaton, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you very much, sir.
1: My pleasure, indeed. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples. That and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on The Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on The Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: You have questions about your retirement?
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Hearing that commercial for uh, Blue Provence Restaurant, it's just really great to hear that they're open again. Uh, Serving early dining between 5 and 6. Blue Provence, just a terrific place uh, to have dinner. Don't know if they're serving lunch yet or not, but nevertheless, uh, great to see that they're open after all the destruction that happened because of Ian. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
5: Well, thanks, Bob. Uh, always, always a pleasure on this cool Thursday.
1: It is cool. Uh,
5: yeah. Uh, wow. Boy, I'll tell you what, that's pretty exciting. We've waited a long time for this, you know?
1: I, I know. Well, it's, a, I think, what is it, 73 degrees or something like that?
5: Yeah, I don't know, but I opened my sliding doors this morning and felt that cool air, and the cat immediately went to the screen door because she loves just sitting there looking out Watching the birds, yeah. So, okay, hey, um, you know, you were just talking about Blue Provence being reopened again, which is great. Uh, it is a great restaurant. But I talked to um, I talked to Skip quillen yesterday. You know, he got that he, with a lot of other restaurateurs, he got really hurt um down there on Fifth Avenue South, both Chops and yeah, and um Pazzo, and he is reopening uh within a couple of days uh, or within a week.
1: Oh that's good so to hear.
5: That was really good to hear that some of our people are coming back and uh uh it's just been unbelievable. So anyway, um we were uh we just uh, before you we got on the air talking a little bit about this uh uh crypto uh uh FX thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, it's 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 humongous, Bob.
1: Yeah, I mean this is bigger than Bernie Madoff, it's bigger than Enron. It's <laughs> This is a big, <laughs> complete scam. Yeah. Unbelievable! Yeah.
5: Oh, oh my gosh! Yeah, that's um, it's uh, you know in the uh, in the New York Post today the headline is, fame blame game over two billion dollar Ponzi. And you I mean,
1: and and he gave so he was a prolific donor to the Democrats. You don't read that in the mainstream media, but he gave. Over forty million dollars, as I understand it, to campaigns in Democrat campaigns. I wondered where the Democrats are getting all the money to give seventy million dollars uh, for a campaign in Texas or in uh, Arizona. Well, I, yeah. now I figured it out. <laughs>
5: oh yeah, I guess so. I guess so, Bob. You and a few others. Yeah, that must have been it. And um, I mean, but some of the some of the names. I mean, the big the superstars that are that got so involved. Um, they were saying Mercedes is immediately removing its FTX logos. Uh, the Miami uh, Heat is taking the uh, na- name off of the stadium. Mm. Uh, they're going to rename it. I mean, it just goes on and on. I know that Tom Brady and his, uh, I guess she's, they're still married. Well, it might be divorced. Uh, and his former wife, um uh had a lot invested in it and i mean the names just go on and on and on There's a picture of uh, larry david up here um in this in this newspaper i mean it's scary stuff to think that you know uh, i mean you've heard about it i'm sure forever and ever and i have two ponzi schemes that have happened over the years and uh you know what they are and yet you look at this in that cryptocurrency we stayed away. We don't have that kind of money anyway, and it didn't it didn't interest me um, at all. But I will tell you that um, the uh, 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 the shelter um, there was a question that came up: uh, Could we accept, or would we accept cryptocurrency if someone wanted to make a, you know a donation and they wanted to do it in cryptocurrency? And um, uh, we we as the board had had discussed that and said yeah you know if it's good you know if it was good we would accept it and immediately turn it over for um you know for, for cash for to put a, you know to put away to use for one of the funds but um I don't think we got, I don't think we ever got any yeah this was a couple of weeks ago but you know I'm sure there's a lot of you know there's a lot of charities out there Bob that you know, someone makes an offer like that, and you you don't know. You know what I mean?
1: Well, I do. And what's interesting to me is you, you, the Gladstone wrote this book, uh, Tipping Point, and uh, right. things you know, things that reach a tipping point. Well, that certainly happened with this cryptocurrency. And people, be you know, you hear, hear all these big names that are getting involved, and you know, it becomes kind of a me too thing. I want to get involved myself. That's what happened with Bernie Madoff. He had no, absolutely no, he was fabricating everything. And people jumped yeah. on board because he said the returns are so good. There was actually, you know, people saying, well, wait a minute, There's, there's these returns are impossible. He can't be doing that. They even said that to the SEC and they ignored it. Well, well that, that's what happens is you, we end up with this big scam. Two billion dollars is unbelievable.
5: Yeah. Yeah, did, did did you know anybody, any personal friends or yours or anything that, that got involved with the, um, with the Bernie Madoff?
1: I certainly did. I had a friend who was heavily invested in uh, Bernie Madoff stuff.
5: Yeah, me too.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, that way. It's so sad because of these are good people. I mean, you know, they were just <laughs> they just got yeah. sucked in.
5: Yep, exactly and, and my friend this is somebody that I had gone to high school with uh, and had uh, been very 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 successful lives in uh, lives over in West Palm Beach and um, and the funny thing was is that one time he mentioned to me he said you know this guy is, is terrific uh, you ought to consider um, putting some cash in with him he, I've used him for years and it's been great and you know, the funny thing was Bob I didn't have that I didn't have that kind of kind of cash. That but but Madoff uh, he wouldn't just take anything. You had to have X amount of dollars to right. be able to invest with him, right? And uh, so you're right. Like your friend, my friend got got pretty well wiped out. I mean, uh, and it was just amazing to to know somebody that did that. And now you look at this, and it's like, oh my gosh, it's just kind of scary. Well, I'm, anyway, what is it? I think it's over
1: a million people that that have been scammed by this.
5: Wow, I don't know. I didn't. I mean, I was just kind of uh, skimming the uh, the article, um, but um, yeah, it, it was not good. That's for sure. And as you said, the Democrats—no uh, wonder they got <laughs> they got some money for campaigns. Yeah. Wow. Well.
1: So, any good scoop the, in the city?
5: Well, they're are they're, uh, they're they're planning their uh, centennial, um, and um, uh, they they're a little bit late in getting the. The, the start going uh, supposed to be I think a week from Saturday at or first week in December at uh, Cambie Park a short kickoff, um, but they're um, they're talking about having one at the end of the year a real big one and this is just a, a short kickoff and uh, um, I don't know much more than that um, of of what they're doing I, I still my my personal feeling is they they still should just hold off a year on the whole thing and uh, wait. Wait till there's people that have homes to live in again here in the city, and uh, uh, not be celebrating that. But, but yeah, it's just an opinion. There's a lot of them, and I hope it's successful. I mean, I hope it works for them. Yeah, absolutely. A uh,
1: hundred year, years. A hundred uh, years of Naples is going to be a hundred years old.
5: Yeah, I guess uh, that's what a has been <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, yeah that's a hundred years old. That's that's. That's pretty old. Well, you yeah. gotta give
1: you That's gotta old. give me credit, Bill, for connecting the dots, huh?
5: <laughs> yeah, Bob. I Never worry about you connecting dots. That's not an issue. And other than that, that we we I said to you, there wasn't a very big giant wave, but it was. Uh, but it's nice to see that the Republicans got the House back.
1: Uh, that is comforting indeed, and uh, that of course gives us the power of the gavel and do some investigations into some of the shenanigans that have been going on both with hunter biden and with uh, the uh, immigration and uh, with the right, department right. of justice and the fbi there's so many different things that needs that need investigation we got to peel the onion and figure out what the heck is going on
5: yeah a lot of layers that's oh, for sure a
1: lot of layers uh,
5: but uh, other than that uh, everything's good you you're around for thanksgiving
1: we're going to be around for thanksgiving how about you all
5: Uh, Yes, we will, and you'll have to give me the word of whether we're going to be on or we're not.
1: Okay, that's right. (laughs) Bill Barnett again, former mayor of Naples. I really appreciate your commentary. Thank you so much for joining us.
5: Bye-bye, Bob.
1: All right, have a good one. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. We've got some great guests for tomorrow, including William Yateman. He's with the Pacific Legal Foundation. Esther Lully is the director of the... uh, uh, collier senior center nathan kineen is uh, an activist in education and public education school choice and uh, larry bell endowed professor at the university of houston will be joining us as well I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, please tell your friends uh, because uh, that will help our advertisers who make this show possible. So appreciate everything that you can do in that regard. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.